everybody. It's Linda from Connecticut. Glad to be here. Have a good day. Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 17, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book, page 26, beginning with the paragraph, So He Returned to This Doctor. The reference number for Friday um, is... uh, 3013. That's the reference number for Friday. 3013. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience and strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Eddie to please read the 12 steps for us. Good morning, all. This is Eddie in Virginia, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Happy to be here this morning. Twelve steps. One, we admit it, we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you so much, Eddie. And now, Rita, would you please read the 12 traditions for us? Yes, good morning. This is Rita, a grateful compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. 
One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself, and our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, um, an anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you very much, Rita. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. In the chapter, there is a solution on page 26, and we're going to begin with the paragraph, um, the second full paragraph on that page, so he returned to this doctor. And we would like to have Carol P. please start us out. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, a vision for you. Uh, my name is Carol, a compulsive overeater recovered. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired, and he asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. He seemed quite rational and well-balanced with respect to other problems, yet he had no control whatever over alcohol. Why was this? Well, well we know this is... Uh, the American businessman, Roland Hazard, and he'd spent a year with Dr. Young. Um, he had profound knowledge, uh, and he thought 
relapse was unthinkable. He thought, you know, the self-knowledge was the answer, but in a short time he was drunk again. And he is, he's just baffled by this. In so many other areas, uh, life was was good. And I had that same uh, thing happen with me. So many other things in life uh, were were okay, but, you know, as the disease progressed, they, you know, it got into the other areas of my life, uh, deteriorating those. But it was just baffling. Why can't I handle this food no matter what I do? I, I'll be okay for a while and then right back in it. So um, this is the question, why is this? And he's going to find out real soon. He's going to get the whole truth. And with that, I pass. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you, Carol. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. So he returned to this doctor whom he admired and asked him point blank why he could not recover. He wished above all things to regain self-control. You know, he's still thinking he can get self-control. You know, I know my problem was that I didn't even know what the problem was. I kept looking for a solution to a problem I didn't even understand. You know, I just thought, well, I just need to find the right diet. And if I find the right diet, then I can get thin and everything will be okay. I can go back to eating the foods that I love, the foods that I love. So he's asking him why he can't recover, but he doesn't understand what the disease is. You know, and treating compulsive overeating with a diet is like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. You know, it's not going to work. So he's, he's asking the question, but he doesn't understand what the real question is. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So you return to this doctor whom he admired. Um, as was said, this is Roland Hazard that we're reading about here. And uh, Roland Hazard was a very wealthy, very uh, well-to-do, uh, successful businessman. And in the paragraph above, we, we heard a little history about how he had gone from sanitarium to sanitarium here in the States and how he had visited a number of psychiatrists here in the States and he had tried all these things here in the States and didn't work. And so he goes to Europe and he puts himself, or he goes and he, and he asks uh, to be a patient of Dr. Young, who was one of the top two or three psychologists of that time. And now this isn't just a 30-day deal here that he does with Dr. Young. He spends a whole year with him. One whole year Dr. Young treats him. And he does learn a lot about how his mind works. So then here he is. He's on his way back to the States. And before he gets to the boat, he gets drunk again. And so he returns to this doctor, to Dr. Young. And he's asking him point blank why he couldn't recover. Why is it he has no control whatever over alcohol? But in other areas of his life, he's very successful. Why was this? And thank goodness we are, Dr. Young is going to be very honest and tell him an answer. But why is it I have no control over alcohol? You know, I am 
powerless over alcohol. And a sick mind cannot heal a sick mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I would like to say a couple things on this paragraph myself. You know, here, here. thank you, everybody. This, here's Roland Hazard, you know, and, and the paragraph before tells us he had ability, good sense, high character. So this is a pretty well-rounded guy. This is a pretty well-rounded guy. But I think we have a recurring theme going on here. You know, he had been trying to quit drinking and could not. So this time, he'd really gone for the big guns. He'd gone for Dr. Young, who was one of a world-renowned, celebrated psychiatrist, thinking, if I go to the best of the best, I'm going to find out what's wrong with me. And what he found out was a lot about the inner workings of his mind, profound knowledge, and all of its hidden springs, he tells us. All of its hidden springs were revealed to him. And I don't know about you, but I tried that route myself. I tried that route myself, thinking if I could just understand the reasons behind my childhood, how my parents raised me, my thinking, you know, if I could only figure this all out, then everything would be okay. But it was the merciless obsession that I didn't know already had me. You know, nevertheless, I would pick up, I would find myself, the inevitable would happen again and again. Only more baffling still, more baffling still, he could give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fault. When you want to quit and you cannot, when you start trying to quit and you cannot, that is the most baffling feature of this illness. And that's, that was true for me. No matter how many times I thought I had new knowledge, new self-knowledge, I could not stop. So once again, he finds himself back at the doctor whom he admired, who he, know, who, who he knew had great qualifications. And he asked the doctor, why can I not regain my self-control? At one time, I had some control. Those periods were brief, but I had some self-control. Why now do I have no control whatsoever over alcohol? And the doctor's going to tell him the truth. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who would like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Okay, would Penny please read the next paragraph for us? Yes, good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He could never regain his position in society, and he would have to place himself under lock and key or hire a bodyguard if he expected to live long. That was a great physician's opinion. Should I read another paragraph, Janice? Yes, that would be great, Penny. 
Okay, thank you. But this man still lives and is a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. He can go anywhere on this earth where other free men may go without disaster, provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. So I would like to share on that. Penny, recovered compulsive overeater. The first word that came out to me, that stands out to me, is begged. He begged the doctor. And, uh, I, you know, in my case, that's even too small of a word. I, I was so desperate for the truth. Tell me the truth. Why is it that I cannot stop eating, even though I swore to it, you know? Even though I knew I wasn't going to eat, I would end up eating. Um, begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he did get it. He got it. Uh, I had placed myself under bodyguard lock and key. I had my jaws wired shut and still was able to get food into my mouth. You know, no matter what I did, I could not stop. And uh, this was the great physician's opinion. He would have to place himself under lock and key. Even that may be not even working. But the, but the, here's the hope. Here's the hope. This man still lives and is a free man. That I want. Sign me up. You know, he's a free man. He does not need a bodyguard, nor is he confined. But there's a, a word in here that really stands out to me, provided. Provided he remains willing to maintain a certain simple attitude. Provided almost means not a must, but pretty close to a must, provided he does this. It has to be this way. Uh, a, a certain simple attitude. And, of course, they're talking to about the spiritual way of life, you know, the steps, implementing them, using them every single day. Simple but not easy. So uh, I'm excited for the rest of this story. Thank you for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Penny. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Press star 1 to unmute. This is Paula, may I share? Please, Paula, go ahead. Thank you, Janice, and good morning to all. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. Well, he begged the doctor, tell him the whole truth, and that's what he got. And I love the the line before it says point blank, and, you know, it just keeps reminding me of like a gun pointed at you. And then here he goes, he fired it. And this was what it was. I mean, he told him very, very truthfully in the doctor's judgment, because the doctor was sharing from his experience what he saw. And he had this man for a year in under his care. And yet he's seen continually. And he said it. he was utterly hopeless. That's what he really believed. And yes, under man's condition, he would be utterly hopeless. hopeless and he would never regain. He would never regain his position in society. That would be it. And look at what he said. He'd have to place himself see under lock and key he already was he already was a different lock and key we know about those cells don't we and then he said here again if he expected to live a long life who would want to live like that who would want to live like that under lock and key but then that was his opinion and for what he had seen it was a true enough opinion but then that but, no, is this not the most beautiful but you've seen? 
it changes everything. But this man still lives and is a free man, free indeed. And it goes on and he says he doesn't need a bodyguard. He doesn't need it. Uh, uh, he doesn't need to be confined. He can go anywhere. Now look at this. Anywhere on this earth, anywhere where other free men go, because he can join them now. He also is free of this terrible disease. But I love that word provided. And yes, it was it was already spoken about. But you know, I'm going to go right to my my favorite, my other friend, um, Mr. Uh, Webster, and I am going to read what he says because it make it just says so much here. Provided on condition. That's it. You can have this, but this must happen first. You can be free, but you must be willing to maintain. Now, that means you've got to keep it up. It's a daily thing. A certain simple attitude. Thank you so much for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Monica. Linda. May I comment? I'm sorry, who was first? Monica. And then Linda. Go ahead, Monica. And then Linda. Thank you very much. Thank Monica you, Janet. Thank you. This is Monica again. He begged the doctor to tell him the whole truth, and he got it. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. Utterly, totally, completely hopeless. You know, and isn't this a wonderful thing that Dr. Young was honest with Roland Hazard, that he told him this? Because, you know, Dr. Young could have said, well, come on back and we'll, you know, I can do some more treatment, you know, we can do some more treatment here. But no, he didn't do that. He very, very honestly said to the guy, I think you're utterly hopeless. And if you expect to uh, live, you may have to put yourself physically under lock and key. And so, he's, you know, we have to learn this, that we are utterly hopeless against this disease, you know, every time. And this I'm going to take from what Leah said one time. Every time I enter the boxing ring with my determination, with my willpower, with my self-knowledge, Against the obsession of my mind, I will get bloodied. I will get beaten up every single time. I am powerless over this, and I need a power that's greater than me. And how are we going to find that power? That power is by working the steps, and that power is God. And then the next paragraph, um, the next sentence after the first paragraph that was read, you know, there's a lot of hope here. But this man still lives and he is a free man. There is a power and a solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Thank you very much. Linda, would you like to share? Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. In the doctor's judgment, he was utterly hopeless. He would never gain his, regain his position in society. He would have to place himself under lock and key. Well, in, in my years of having this um, eating disorder, I've gone to many therapists, and many of them um, were experts in um, eating disorders. And I had gone to one last year who uh, actually works with people who have gastric bypass, which I don't believe in, 
But I went to her because I also heard that she understands the 12-step the twelve step program works with people in the twelve step program. So I went to her and I had just started in OA and I thought it was great that I found a therapist who could also work with a twelve step. Um but I didn't find a solution there. Um I knew I had an allergy of the body, uh I knew I had an obsession of the mind, but I didn't have a solution because I was going to regular OA meetings and I wasn't listening to a telephone meeting, a big book telephone meeting. When I did start listening um in January it it clashed. The therapy and the big book clashed, and I realized I needed to embrace the big book, the readings in the big book and the steps in the big book. And so in February, I stopped going to her and have since then really embraced this program, and I have found the solution. Uh, I'm recovering. I'm not recovered. I'm working the 12 steps now with my sponsor. Um, but I had also, like this gentleman, gone to, gone to many therapists and uh, really was desperate to find a way, and I'm just so thankful that that the big book and the phone meetings came into my life because I truly believe I have found a solution. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, good morning. This is Melanie. I would like to share, please. Go ahead, Miss Melanie. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for your service, Janice. Um, kind of going on what uh, Monica was sharing about here, just opened up my thinking that I thought might be an interesting backstory. <clears throat> if I'm taking on all this information, and I'm ta- and I'm considering that um, a gentleman that had been in my care for a full year, um, sheltered, you know, probably already guarded, and there was this great success during this time, and I threw at this this therapy the very best that a that a well known um, psychiatrist would would put to a situation like this, that I put everything into it, um, then I'm at the limit of my ability, completely at the limit of my ability. And the best that I can imagine here is what worked when he was in my care for this year, and that is the structure and the confinement that he was in, that once released and on his own, there was a breakdown I can't figure out what that is except to say what worked, and that was under lock and key basically in, in many respects when he was in my care. This is a big deal. That's a big deal for this particular well-learned, well, you know, well-respected psychiatrist to say this kind of thing, to know that he was at the limit. And I'm faced with that every single day of my life. Every day I meet myself and meet my limit of what my best thinking, my best experiences can throw at this disease, even recovered every day, every day. So to to consider this, it really is quite beautiful if you think about maintaining a certain simple attitude. And in the rooms where I'm at, we talk a lot about keeping it simple because I complicate things so much. And that uh, simple attitude is you know, certainly um, the way I view something, the disposition which I'm in here and the emotion which I bring to it, with all that consideration to the side, um, I, I really do have something that I can work with. And this is pointing me, as I read this, continually towards a higher power that I can rely on and that's reliable, the missing component. And we'll learn more about that here. But I just found that quite quite profound that the best that they were able to do is look up at what they used to do 
and that must be it. That must be it. And we're going to open our mind to something far greater and yet more simply beautiful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Catherine. Masia. Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, good morning. This is Catherine, a compulsive overeater. And in reading this paragraph, I'm reminded, you know, this, this disease we have, compulsive overeating, it's progressive, it's patient, it's permanent, and it's fatal, not only physically but spiritually and emotionally. On that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. All right, we'll move on to the next paragraph. Fran, would you please read for us? Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Some some of our alcoholic readers may think they can do without spiritual help. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation our friend had with his doctor. The doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Yes, replied the doctor, there is. Exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guarding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Thank you, Fran. Let's start with those first two uh, paragraphs at the at the top. Um, would anyone like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, everyone. My name is Kim. The doctor said you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. He has never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent it does in you. He's not saying the body. You know, Carl Jung is recognizing that the greatest aspect of our disease is in the mind. You know, he's not saying that it's the body that's going to stop him from from drinking. Because that's what he's done. This, This man was, I mean, I studied him in college 20 years ago, and this guy's from the, you know, the late early 1900s. He, he was an amazing psychologist, and he even recognized he could keep this guy sober as long as he was with him and giving him this treatment. But he was humble enough to say, you know, you are a chronic alcoholic. You know, I can give you all the treatments in the world, but if your mind is of, the, of that mindset, 
you are not going to be able to recover. I have never seen a single case. That means there wasn't an exception. And he says, our friend felt as though the gates of hell had been closed on him with a clang. You know, I remember that feeling. I remember that the time I made a decision, I just can't diet anymore. I can't because all I do is gain weight because regardless of what diet I find, what, what physical solution is out there, I had, I'm not recognizing it, but I had this mind that was going to make me go back again and again and again, and I just gave up. I just gave up. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had been closed on him with a climb. And we talked before about door number one and door number two. You know, he's telling him there is no door number three. But, of course, here comes the alcoholic. He wants to know if there is an exception. But it's so important that we understand, regardless of what, you know, the physical recovery, the ability to put the food down is essential. But what is going to determine if we recover or not is if we get the fact that the greater aspect of our disease is in the mind that will bring us back to the food again, again, and again. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Well, this is Janice, and I'd like to share something about this. You know, we have had a wonderful study here in this paragraph, and we have been set up for this particular story to illustrate something. I believe those first 100 recovered alcoholics did this in a way that could introduce us to this story. Here's an example they're telling us. Here's an example of the fact that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice. The power of choice. And that power was in my mind. That power was in my mind. So here is a great look at the insanity, the real insanity of this disease. And that's what Dr. Young had been facing over and over and over again, the insanity of alcoholism. Because no matter how much self-knowledge or determination or intellect or self-will was brought to bear against this disease, no matter how much inner workings of the mind was revealed, no matter how much, how profound that knowledge was, it could not help me against picking up that first bite. You know, what, what a disease of the mind this is. Because no matter how great the desire or the wish, I could not stop myself from starting again. Even when I stopped for a while, even when I tried every possible remedy that I knew, eventually the restless, irritable, and discontented part of me would rise up and my thinking, my thinking would lead me back to that first bite. All of a sudden, one day, it would sound like a good idea to pick up again and I wouldn't be able to remember. You know, there's a certain amnesia that seems to come with this disease. It would erase from my mind the horribleness, the humiliation that I had had just a day or a week or a month ago. I would be without defense against that spirit's fight, but defense in my mind. I would believe a lie that this time it would be different. This time it would be different. It's a Monday morning, so this time it'll be different. This time I'll be able to have just one. This time I'll be able to stop after just one. But it was the disease 
the insanity of the thinking. And I thought, too, that I could do it without spiritual help. I clung to that idea that I could do it without spiritual help. But this time, my will, my determination, my intellect, my self-knowledge had to be enough. It had to be enough because it was all I had. Because it was all I had. And when the doctor said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic, I was a chronic compulsive overeater. And the doctor said, I have never seen one single case recovery where that state of mind existed to the extent it existed in you. You know, what knowledge, what, what, being given that knowledge, our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him. Because I was already living in that hell. When you want to stop and you cannot, that is hell. That is hell. When you try over and over and over again to stop and you cannot. That's the gates of hell. But he said to the doctor, is there no exception? And the doctor went on to describe that exception. And today I'm grateful to be in that place where I know that about myself. That that vital spiritual experience and that willingness to maintain a certain simple attitude is possible. It's what makes it possible. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? It's Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. Um, here, Roland Hazard is learning some more truth here. He He's... We've been reading how he's learned, you know, that all his determination and his willpower and his self-knowledge is no uh, uh, use against this disease. And like has been said, he, you know, when he want to stop and you cannot, when that's the, your biggest desire in the whole world is to stop doing this and you can't do it. And nothing on his own is doing it. And now the doctor is telling him, and you're beyond human aid. Another human being cannot do it for you. Wow. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. You know, nothing I try to do is going to work. Nothing you try to do to help me as much as you desire to is going to help. But thank God we are going to learn what the solution is from this Dr. Young over in Europe. And that solution is there is exceptions and it's called a spiritual experience. What hope? And he says, this is the only thing that I have seen that works. And this is what Brulin Hazard is going to bring back to the States. And we'll know the rest of the story later on. But what hope here? that there is a possibility. It's called a spiritual experience that's going to change us. And Bill goes on to write out this different words to mean change. These occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements, displacements, shifts, changes, movements, and rearrangements. Rearrangements is a new order. Again, changes. 
ideas and emotions and attitudes, which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side. And a completely new set of conceptions, there's change again, and motives begin to dominate them. The spiritual experience is going to change us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I comment? Please, go ahead, Paula. Thank you, Janice. Here it says, uh, some of our alcoholic readers may think, hmm, there we go back in that mind again, they can do without spiritual help. And then it said clearly, and this is the part I want to come alongside of. Let us tell you the rest of the conversation. See, you got part of it. You didn't get all of it. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. I always got part of it, but never all of it. Now, I want to come here, our friend. Why does he use that word, our friend? Because we have something in common with this man, don't we? Haven't we gone this this path, this same path, thinking, well, I'll do it this way, I'll do it that way? Oh, I'll get the best. Like, and the best is big bucks here. And he really did sincerely try with everything he had, with everything he had. He needed more. And then he goes right down again, and I wanted to look again. He uses the same word. Our friend felt as though the gates of hell had closed on him with a clang. Have we not also? Have we not also felt the same way? Like, I just can't do it. I can't do it another time. And yet, we do it another time. But I love this. I'm just going to end at that line. He said to the doctor, is there no exception? Is there no exception? You know, yes, does he look hopeless? Hmm. But yet, there seems to be a little glimmer here that is placed. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Melanie, Compulsive Overeater. May I share? Go ahead, Melanie. Hi, thank you. You have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. And in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, on uh, page 21 it says, It is truly awful to admit that, glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence, capital P, can remove it from us. And then he says, is there no exception? I want an exception. I've always wanted to be an exception. Warped my mind into such an obsession. I had done that single-handedly. The proof is here. There's no place else to go. He went out on on his own and found that there was nothing that was going to erase that from him. I have a chronic mind of an alcoholic, and there is only one exception. I want to be some of those that can do this without spiritual help. I want to have just the rule book. Just give me the rule book, and I'll follow it. I'll take it down the list. I'll mind all those those rules, and I'll play it out like a game, just like a t- task list, just like a to-do list of anything else I've done. And that's not going to do it either. Honestly, for me, I've tried that route as well. 
I love that piece. I use it all the time. I've warped my mind into such an obsession for destructive drinking. That means the the whole order of my thinking and the whole order of my DNA system has been altered as a result of the kind of chemical that I put in my body and my head and the continual obsession that I have done in my thinking that that hardly a rational thought can come in anymore. This is not a small matter. This is very, 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 very serious. And I like the idea that this chapter is called The Solution. And they ended up on the previous page saying that, um, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. And they're going to show you with Roland's story how that plays out and that some of our alcoholic readers will have to also change their minds too and accept this kind of idea. It's simple, but absolutely life-changing. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? I would, Janice. It's Linda from Connecticut, and I am a compulsive overeater. May I go ahead? Thank you, Linda. Go ahead. This is almost painful. It actually is painful to... To hear this again, and it's life-saving, because that actually happened to me, although my name is not Roland Hazard. I did go to the best psychiatrist, and I went for a long time. I gave it my best. I was very trained in school toward these lines of intellectual, you know, you're going to know through your willpower and your intellect and all of that. None of it worked, and the psychiatrist said to me, you're never going to have a normal life. You're not going to be able to work. You have thus and so, you know. And um, I did not have uh, Overeaters Anonymous at that time. I was the gates of hell clamped, shu- uh, clamped shut. It was horrible. Eventually, I found my, not long after, I found my way to the rooms. And um, eventually, over time, doing the steps and especially the phone meeting. Uh, the phone meetings, and particularly your meeting, and great sponsorship, and just trying and trying and trying to have a relationship with God. My God, I'm normal, and I'm not joking. My sponsor said so, too. <laughs> and I do, I do work, and I have a normal life, and I don't need medication or anything like that. Not that I'm telling people to dump medication. Of course not. But what I'm saying is, my God, these steps are astounding. Please continue. If you're discouraged, please stay with the program, the steps. Thank you. Thank you, Linda, very much. Well, this is Janice, and there is there is one thing that I, I that jumps out at me in, in what we read here this morning. And it says at the bottom of that paragraph, in fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful. But I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Yikes! An alcoholic of your description. That was me. That was me he was talking about. I was, like Roland Hazard, an alcoholic of that description. You know, my state of mind, a chronic compulsive overeater, my state of mind existed to the extent that it existed in Roland Hazard. You know, despite the fact that I had very competent P 
people trying to help me. In many areas, competent doctors, competent counselors, competent psychiatrists, because I had sought every possible remedy. I know I was ready. I was ready to go under the knife to have surgery. I was ready to do that because I was so desperate. I was so desperate. But, but Dr. Young is even telling him here, you know, I have never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. And that's big words for this psychiatrist to say, big words. Because he had treated many alcoholics. You know, just like Dr. Silkworth had treated many alcoholics. And the chronic alcoholic of my type, the chronic compulsive overeater of my type, you know, there, there was no way it was going to happen for me the way it might happen for some people. You know, I had, I had a disease, a twofold disease, the allergy of my body coupled with the obsession of my mind. And it made me of that hopeless variety. But it set me up for what would be the solution as well. Set me up for what I would come to know the 12 steps. I would be approached by someone in whom the problem had been solved, someone like me, and that would be my way to that vital spiritual experience. But the doctor was very honest with Roland Hazard, very honest with him. You know, because Roland Hazard was one of those people, the minute he left treatment, with this doctor, despite the fact that it had been a year. What happened to him? He picked up again. The demoralization of that brought him back begging the doctor to tell him, what's wrong with me? Why is it that I cannot recover? And the doctor's being very honest with him about that. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hello, my name is Sandy B. I'd just like to ask if you could say where, what page you're reading from. We are on page 27, and there is a solution. Thank you. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Yes, hi, this is Linda from Massachusetts. I'd like to comment. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, in fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. So here we have the top dog psychiatrist, top of his field, brilliant individual, um, another human being who cannot do the, provide this emotional re- rearrangement to this very ill man. A human to a human cannot do it. It takes God to do this. It takes the spiritual growth to do this. And I, don't, I can't really comment about the individuals that this Dr. Young has helped in the past. You know, um, I, I know several people who who can lose weight and keep the weight off, and, and I don't think that makes them a compulsive overeater. But with my degree of, of illness, I know I'm a compulsive overeater, and I know that this is a twofold disease for me, and I know that it's strong in my body. Um, so I know for me it's a spiritual change that has to happen, not another human being coming to me and trying to help me. I, I need to find God. I need to rely on God. So I think that's what this uh, sentence says to me, that 
you know, this very powerful psychiatrist could not, as a human being, help this other human being. So it's it's in God's hands. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll move on to the next paragraph. Judy B., will you... Uh, Good morning. This is Judy B., a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. So we're seeing here that... um, just having a faith, just believing in God uh, isn't enough. There has to be more. Um, a, a necessary vital spiritual experience must happen. And in our book on um, page 93, it says, Faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish, constructive action. We, we have to um, go through the steps. We have to go through that experience for this um, transformation to happen in our mind, for this vital experience to happen. And um, some people find it easier when they, when they do have a faith, but every, it can happen for everyone. Everyone can have this vital spiritual experience. We just have to trust, and we have to trust that there is a power greater than ourselves, and it doesn't have to be... um, We don't have to experience it in the way anyone else describes it. We don't have to believe in a God that our friend has, or our doctor has, or even that our sponsor has. But we have to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves. And if we're willing to just believe that and trust and work this, uh, this spiritual toolkit, the, the um, going through the, uh, the steps, this can happen. This can happen for everyone. And we can, we can reach this new, new level of thinking where, where our, our mind has been transformed and we do not have the obsession anymore. Um, there is hope here for everyone, everyone, even those who don't, who don't have um, uh, a God of their understanding yet. You know, it will come, and it's possible. There, there, is, there is relief here, there is hope here, there is a solution here. And I'm so grateful that I've found this. Thank you. And I pass. Thank you, Judy. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Press star one to unmute. This would be Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. 
Well, I was just thinking that we've come here again. Bill uses words very appropriately, and he used the word our friend, and then our friend yet again. And look at here, upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved. There it is. He got hope. That's what we received. We received hope from when was hopeless. The less dropped out, and you gave me some hope here. That glimmer grew. Was somewhat relieved, for he reflected it after all. He was a good church member. Well, okay, I can come alongside here. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him, while his religious convictions were very good, it was more. More was required. In his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience, and that's what it said. The last line ends with the necessary vital spiritual experience, as is written on the end of the book. That part is vital. That's what pushes you on to the other side. That's what allows you to cast to one side and develop a whole new set of conceptions and motives. If you've got part of the old, it ain't going to do it. It ain't going to get you where you want to go. But what does it say? A complete new set of conceptions and motives began at the beginning to dominate them. And that's it. Those overtook, and they must overtake, the thinking of the mind. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Well, we're going to close here today um, at this point, and I will ask if Carol P. would please read a vision for you on page 164. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.